Hi, this is Brendan Kane, the author of Hookpoint and One Million Followers, and you're listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Brendan Kane. Brendan is a speaker, author, and advisor who empowers brands to scale by helping them stand out and beat the competition in crowded, oversaturated markets. He thrives on helping his clients engage new audiences that reward relevant products and services with their attention and purchases. He's the founder and CEO of Hookpoint Agency and the author of the best-selling book, One Million Followers, which describes how he generated over one million followers worldwide in less than 30 days. Brendan has provided top brands with business and digital strategy for more than 15 years, including MTV, Taylor Swift, Rihanna, and many others. Brenda lives in Austin, Texas, and is here to talk about his new book, Hook Point, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World. Welcome, Brandon. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's listening to this. It's great to have you on, Brandon. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? I would say, and I believe I put it in the Hook Point book, my father definitely influenced me with the statement that he would constantly say is, think before you speak. I remember many of situations where he would smack me upside the head and tell me, think before you speak. Because as a young kid, oftentimes you're saying things in the wrong situations or saying things without actually listening to what's going on around you. And that was really instilled at me at a a young age is to actually step back and listen to what's going on around you instead of your gut instinct of just constantly speaking. I'm sure that advice came a very useful way when you were working in studios and you were part of meetings in order to really learn to listen actively and effectively before you spoke. Do you you remember how that helped influence your interaction style during that time? I wanted to be a film producer and I went to film school and then showed up to LA in around 2005. And like everybody started at the bottom making coffee, copies, deliveries. When people would ask me, why did I move to LA? I would say, I want to be a film producer. I could see people's eyes glaze over when I would say that because I was one of a million people doing that. It's not as bad as wanting to be an actor, but there's a lot of people that want to be a film producer. So I really had to take a step back and analyze what is the best response to grab attention at the highest levels to move my way up the rank. Because as an entrepreneur, I'm very impatient. So I had no desire to spend years working my way up the ranks. In doing that, I would take a step back and really analyze what was going on in the office at the studio I was working for and would notice that every time we finished a film, there would be a sense of anxiety or stress that would come over the office because we were investing tens of millions of dollars into a single piece of content. Then that single piece of content needs to be made aware by hundreds of millions of people around the world in a very short period of time to have any chance of not just generating a profit, but making sure that we don't lose a bunch of money. Realizing that I started to weave into the conversation when I was speaking to people, hey, when I was in college, I started a few internet companies and I know how to tap into these traffic sources for a fraction of what we were spending with television or film and in some cases, no cost at all, like engineering the first ever influencer campaign on YouTube back in like 2006, 2007. That shift in dynamics of my conversation of why was there the value that I could provide allowed me to go from making coffees and copies to starting a digital division for the first studio that I worked for in a very short period of time. So that's one of the ways that 
I used that skill set specifically in the film industry. Let's clarify the term hook point. You go through in the book and describe that it's not the same as a USP, but there could be elements of your USP as part of it. It's not your tagline, it's your motto. It's something that helps you generate new ideas and followers at scale, create powerful branding messages, secure important meetings, and perform well at those meetings. What are the characteristics that you look for to know that not only you have a a hook, but it's going to be an effective hook point? There's three key pillars to a successful hook point. One is how do you grab attention in the shortest time period possible? Oftentimes we're talking about three seconds because without that, you get lost in the noise. So the best way to articulate is looking at the problem that we face today. That is, if you think back to pre-social media, million content creators on the planet that are reaching the masses because content distribution to the masses was heavily regulated. You had to go through a television station, a radio station, a newspaper, a magazine. Not everybody had the ability to do that. You fast forward today, there's 3.96 billion content creators on the planet. Every single one of those people with a click of a button can post a piece of content to the tune of hundreds of billions of competing messages that are being put out into these platforms every day. So it's more critical than ever when we talk about that first pillar of grabbing attention. No matter whether you're using social media from an organic or a paid perspective, sending a LinkedIn message, an email, or even just trying to get a meeting with somebody, we're inundated with so much content. Our first job, the most important job, is how do we grab that attention so that we can get to the second pillar, which is holding attention. Because we're not talking about clickbait here. We're not talking about tricking people. People have caught on to that. The algorithms have caught on. It's our job to not just grab that attention, but hold that attention. What do we do with it so that we can really take people on the story that we want? want to take them on to construct our value or or demonstrate why people should do business with us or click on something or share something. The third part of it is how are we monetizing that attention? Because it has to be sustainable. It has to play to an underlying KPI. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you have to sell a product. Maybe you're getting a job. Maybe you're closing a deal or a lead or something like that. But it has to lead to some type of action that's going to fuel the growth of your business. I even talk about this with nonprofits and charities. The same rules apply is you need to collect donations or get people involved in order for it to be sustainable. So again, those key pillars is grabbing attention, holding attention, and then monetizing that attention. The way that can happen is in many ways, shapes, or form. It can be, again, a social media ad, organic ad, a LinkedIn post, a LinkedIn outreach, an email, a television ad, or just getting somebody to take a meeting with you. So it can take and manifest in many ways, shapes, or form. Terrific. One of the things that's interesting is that I've been a follower of Kevin Kelly's a thousand true fans law or principle that he expressed, where if you have a thousand true followers who care about the work that you put out and will pay for products in the $100 range, you could make $100,000. And that becomes a sustainable path to developing your platform, your authority and your influence. Reading in your book, I was delighted to see that you looked at that and said, wow, I've got a different perspective. You still understand that you want to zero in on and identify those who really resonate with your message, but you really scaled it beyond a thousand followers. Talk about your thinking in those terms. Blessing and the curse of starting in the entertainment industry is that you have to think big. You can never come to going back is when we're investing tens of millions of dollars or in some case over a hundred million dollars plus into a single piece of content. You cannot go into a meeting talking about how we're going to reach a thousand, ten thousand or a hundred thousand people. You'll get fired for it. Starting out in that industry, you're forced to think 
think as big as possible. When I set out to generate a million followers in 30 days, it was about the hook that it represented about generating that so that it can open up the doors to get on stages, to get on podcasts, to get on television. Thus, that will amplify the brand even further versus with a thousand true fans. I'm not diluting the value in it because there is value in getting a thousand true fans to pay you for things. But that's not really typically how you get on stages or get the attention at the highest levels and get on big stages, podcasts, press and opportunities like that. In addition, the challenge that you face today with a thousand true fans, and I don't know when he first came out with it, but I know it's not recent. It's been around for some time is going back to the competition that we face in the auctions, the algorithms, email filters, all of that, you could have a thousand followers, you could have a thousand people on your email list or any of those things. It doesn't necessarily mean you're reaching all of those thousand people. That poses a, a little bit of a challenge with that model too going forward. But again, the reason that I went in a different direction is based upon the world that I started off in. The world that I come from is you were forced to train your brain to think big. Once you have that ingrained in the DNA of the entrepreneurship angles and strategies that you take, it's very hard to unwind that and think in different small terms. Brandon, you laid out in Hookpoint, as well as in 1 million followers, your approach to it. In Hookpoint, I really liked how you said the idea was to get more than a million followers, but then you hired a documentary filmmaker to film a short video, I think it was like two and a half, where you actually explain the story. And you use that to amplify it further, build your platform, get clients, and monetize what you had just accomplished. You stood out and showed authority by being able to say, this is possible for people because I just did it starting from zero. I didn't go from 1 million to 2 million. You went from zero to a million and showed how to gain followers and attention fast. Then you used a film to further tell the story in a different medium that brought you all sorts of ways to monetize from speaking engagements, new clients, and so on. Could you share more details about that? Because I think the process is very educational. Once you have the hook established, it opens up the opportunities to express that hook in many different mediums. One of the big things is through social media ads selling our books. The other thing is being on podcasts like this that gives you a format to do that. Speaking on some of the largest stages in the world. There's so many different ways once you have a solid hook to express it, if it's the right hook that opens up a significant amount of opportunity for awareness, scale, and revenue. Going back to that third pillar of a hook point, having a revenue model in play is important. It's interesting, like one of our lowest selling courses is our social leverage course, which teaches people the principles of how I approached monetizing an audience. I see this a lot in people reaching out is they think if I have a million followers, I'm just going to be rich. If I'm going to have a large audience, I'm going to be rich. Can you? Yeah, there's plenty of examples of doing that. But today, there's a lot of people with a large social audience. It really comes down to the strategy that you have of maximizing your audience or maximizing your hook, because you could have the best hook in the world. But if it doesn't lead to scalable revenue growth for your business, it's oftentimes going to fall flat. I work a lot with my clients of really understanding what their key goal and setting a solid foundation for the strategy before we do anything, because most people don't look at that. And then they either generate a large audience or they get into starting to generate an audience and they're investing time, money, and resources and it's not translating into revenue and thus it's not sustainable and they give up on it. Can you walk me through an example, maybe with or without the client's name, that talks about how you set certain criteria to look to see if you're gaining traction at a certain point and how you pivoted once you saw that you are either meeting that goal or you weren't getting the amount of traffic that you could convert to the next step. In our business, we spend a considerable amount of money advertising our books through book funnels and 
and we lost our way a little bit and focusing too much on the front end creative direction to drive down our cost per acquisition of our customer and not enough on how we increase our average card order value based upon the people that we're bringing in. What that actually means is oftentimes to sell a book for us we're operating at a loss. So like to sell a $5 or $10 ebook through social media ads can cost us anywhere from 30 to $50. So that means selling five or $10, we're losing a lot of money. So that's where we have to have subsequent order bumps, upsells, opportunities for people to gain access to us or, or add different elements that they need alongside reading a book. We just lost our way and focusing too much on the front end creative and not as much on, okay, we're getting that we have a strong hook. We can Get people buying the book. How do we make monetize that further? How do we monetize those leads to the highest extent to increase that average card order value and subsequently that lifetime value of that customer? This is a big issue that we see with businesses across the board in their inability to scale to reach the next level. No matter if they're at a company that's making hundred thousand dollars a year, we see it all the way up to companies that are doing twenty five billion a year. Is how do we optimize that user journey to ensure that we are increasing the immediate short and long-term value of the leads and customers that we're generating. What specific steps when you recognize it? Take me back to that meeting where you recognize and said, oh, you know what? We've lost our focus here. We need to increase the average order value. Then you took steps to maybe add a course in or to increase the number of offers that they saw when they went to the page. What was the specific change you made? And how soon before you start to see that average value rise to a level where it became sustainable? It all comes down to analytics and data. Like how well are you tracking every aspect of your business? We just saw two things. One, we hit a ceiling with the amount of money that we could spend on ads profitably. Number two, we saw a decrease in our average cart value and also just the average amount of revenue that we were generating off of our courses and other aspects of our business. So that was just to trigger that we need to go back and reinvest in that. The first step was finding, it wasn't even finding, I went back to the person that initially built our book funnels and just re-engaged him to really look at it on a weekly basis, to analyze the performance, show us the data, come up with recommendations alongside us brainstorming. We saw an increase within two weeks. We recently went from an average card order value of averaging like $24 to over $50 two weeks looking and paying attention to that. That allows us to then increase our overall spend and, and just fuel the lead flow for our overall business. What a difference it makes so that it becomes sustainable just across that value of profitability with that initial purchase. Sustainability is everything. I think that people listening to this might have some mistaken idea that once you automate a funnel, it just becomes automatic. It's something that requires constant vigilance. Look at the metrics, looking for ways to operate optimize it because the environment's always changing. That's the problem, especially when it comes to organic social media growth is again, people don't have a plan for monetization or they don't set clear goals for their organic. I even see this in paid. It's so critically important to set goals, to measure the response of the efficiencies of where you're spending money on marketing in, in all facets and form. But it was especially with organic people just post and they expect to grow, they expect to go viral, and they also expect to get rich or to generate meaningful profit. It can do it, but you have to have the right system in place to maximize the potential. Have you seen an example recently of somebody who without any advertising behind it organically grew to a level where they were making significant sales and ROI just based upon time of posting organically? There's plenty of examples of that. You can look at the highest level like a Mr. Beast. He's going to be probably the first billionaire influencer ever. He's 
monetizing significantly off of organic traffic. However, if you look at the amount that he invests, he's investing over a million dollars per video. He didn't start out that way, but he reinvests all of his profit into that because he sees the long-term play. He sees how he makes money. There's an amazing musician. Her name's Lainey Gardner. She went super viral off of one video. We posted about it on our social channels and broke down why it went viral. She signed a big music deal. Now she's touring with the Jonas Brothers. That's another example. And she's not like a Mr. Beast level. You can look at a guy like Graham Stephan on YouTube, a young kid that speaks about finance. He's very open about how he makes money through YouTube. So there's a lot of examples of people out there. Now, they represent a minority. They're a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the people on social media. So I think oftentimes people see these individuals and think it's super easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. Even somebody like her beast, the level of granularity that he goes into, he'll invest a million dollars into a video and not even post it if he doesn't really believe in its success. So when we're working with clients, we want to engineer success, not play based off of luck. Now, engineering success takes a tremendous amount of work, energy, and effort to get good at, but it is possible if you put in the time and, and the hard work and the resources to master it. Because what you're doing with engineering, of course, is you're increasing the probability of success. You're saying based upon these metrics, based upon the environment, these are the messages that we should test early because we're more likely to find traction with them rather than throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. But again, like anything that you engineer, it's not easy. It's simple and we teach the people the process, but it takes time to get good at it. Yep, there are skills involved for sure. Now, one of the stories and business models that I read in Hookpoint was about hot ones. The web series where celebrities are invited to really spicy hot wings while responding to questions and fan reactions. It's hosted by Sean Evans. Can you describe the setup and what lessons can be drawn about how this show is succeeding based upon its use of hook points? Let's just take it at its base level. It's an interview show and that is oversaturated. I mean, there's millions of podcasts out. And again, because everybody has access to social media, everybody's trying to interview everybody. So that's not a unique angle. So they created this amazing hook. It's one of the best hooks out there of interviewing the top celebrities while eating hot wings because of the reactions that you get and the honesty that you get off of it. You can go and see them interviewing a Kevin Hart, like crying, eating hot wings, or I don't know which celebrities, but some of them end up puking because the hot wings are so hot. It's a really unique angle to bring people in, but Sean Evans, and there's plenty of interviews of him talking about his process. It's well thought out interview process. It's not just interviewing celebrities with hot wings is because they have people in a very vulnerable state, they get to ask them other questions that they may not reveal the answers to in other settings. In addition, it's more lighthearted. It's more fun than your standard interview. They built a huge audience that was monetized through ads through hot ones, but then they took it a step further and started creating their own line of hot wing sauce that they can intelligently integrate it and authentically integrate it into the actual content. It plays hand in hand with the format. They've done an amazing job leveraging hook points to grow the audience, but also monetize it. There are many that stood out because your book is so rich with examples that give people a very multi-dimensional way to understand hook points. I loved when you brought up the example of Dr. Michael Bruce. Michael Bruce is a PhD and he goes by the tagline, I'm the sleep doctor. There was no such thing as sleep studies when he started to be a guest on different shows. Another one was the Geico, you can't skip this ad series because they just told people they 
noticed that people were using the pattern of when the ad started, they would skip ahead. Then in the first sentence, they're saying, huh, can't skip this ad, it's done. People just totally perplexed, but engaged with that content. Talk about how people are recognizing the importance of looking at responses in order to refine and optimize their engagement with their audience. The beauty of social media is that you can track everything. And some people get up in arms about privacy and things of that nature. I'm not going to get into that side of it. But you get immediate feedback. You can track so many different variables. Like, for example, we track the ratio of views to reach. Because for most platform, a view doesn't happen until the three-second mark. So what that view to reach ratio can tell us is how strong is our front-end hook point? Are we stopping the scroll? In the case of YouTube, are we earning the click on the thumbnail and headline? That will give us a clear data point at a certain threshold to understand where our video or, or a piece of content is going wrong. Is it in that first three seconds, which gives us a clear data that we need to optimize the first three seconds? If we see that the view to reach ratio is high, but the retention graph is not good, meaning we're not holding the attention for a long period of time, the retention graph just nosedives right after those first three seconds, then we know it's the story that's falling flat. In addition to you mentioned the keyword pattern is studying the patterns like you mentioned Geico is Geico knows that in most ads when you have the option to skip them people will take that because the ad is no good so understanding that pattern they created these funny ads of saying you can't skip this ad because the ad is already over having a funny setting like the one I remember is the, a family sitting at a dinner table when they stop eating Geico says you can't skip this ad because it's already over and the dog gets up and the family's frozen the dog gets up and starts eating out of the bowl so it's a pattern recognition is critically important to breaking the pattern and standing out. So true. Now, standing out is something, like you said before, it's not terribly complex or difficult, but there are proven patterns that lead to success. Many listeners of the show are saying how they use LinkedIn to look to connect with others, especially in B2B settings. They say, I tell people, they, they just connect with someone and invite them to have a phone call and it falls flat, not surprisingly. Explain what people need to do in LinkedIn in order to have better success reaching out and establishing contacts for sharing ideas and maybe gaining new business. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that's featured in the book, Craig Clemens, who's one of the top copywriters in the world. He sold over a billion dollars with a product through social media ads. He was telling me about Bob Pittman, the founder of MTV, saying basically you cannot sell anything to anybody. All you can do is express that your product or your service is the solution to their problems. That's where I think most people are going wrong with LinkedIn or even any format is they're looking at it from the approach of what do I want? I want to book a call with this person. I want to sell this product. I want to sell this service instead of really putting yourself in the, the shoes of the person on the other side of the screen and understand what is their greatest pain point? What keeps them up at night? What causes anxiety and stress? Basically, everybody that's listening to this, if you just think about that for a minute, what causes you anxiety, stress, wakes you up in the night? And then somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I know you're experiencing this. I would love to solve this problem. How are you going to respond to that? I don't know about you, but I'm going to say yes every single time. Then it just comes down to, do I believe this person's going to do it, the cost and things like that. But starting from that premise gives you the best chance of success. That's where most people are going wrong is they'll say, hey, I want to schedule a call. Hey, I want to give you this article. Hey, did you hear about my interview with this? I was like, who are you? Why should I care? It doesn't translate into that level of standing out. Again, understanding the pattern of what everybody else is doing and then breaking that pattern so that you can stand out. Can you talk about an example of somebody who had success doing that with, say, a LinkedIn campaign or some other medium in a B2B context? We've had a lot of success doing it. I closed Disney off of cold outreach. She was the head of uh, paid media at Disney. 
understood kind of what her concerns may be in managing significant amounts of media budget and just expressed that I understood her concerns of what she's going through and that we have a potential solution to alleviate the concerns that her and most people that are managing significant media budgets represent. But even to take a step further in that context is we had to shift gears because we noticed that we were going brand direct. When we were going brand direct, we were often getting kicked to the media agencies because all of the big brands have media agencies already engaged and it would really piss off the media agencies because they felt like we were trying to steal their business. So when we saw that pattern, we shifted gears and we started going to the media agencies directly saying, we want to help you solve this problem so that you can build retention with your core audience and win new business. The minute that we made that shift, it increased our revenue exponentially. Do you think that the mistake that many others make when they're doing social media is that they're not measuring the responses and setting the experiments up correctly to begin with, or did they just let it go too long and then get frustrated because it didn't work the way that they expected? People are letting things going too long because they're not testing, they're not refining. The set it and forget attitude, it just typically leads to disaster. So Brennan, are you ready for the mic quest for the best lightning round? Sure. So at the beginning of the interview, we talked about someone who helped influence you growing up. You talked about your dad. When you were a teenager, Brandon, what's a song that you loved? As a teenager, the first artist that pops into my mind is like Notorious B.I.G. and kind of that hip hop era. Tribe Called Quest is another one. So I think that those are two that pop into my head immediately. For B2B, rank the different social media channels for being able to get your message out there in a way that reaches your target audience for your business, your agency. And which ones do you focus on first? YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, what are the top ones? Which ones do you ignore because they're not as relevant? Depends on the business. If you're asking our business, we start with Facebook and Instagram because it provides the scale and awareness. Then we retarget on other platforms like LinkedIn and things like that. But if it's a business trying to make the determination for B2B leads, I would start with LinkedIn to see if you can get that working. On LinkedIn, since you mentioned that as the, the leading one, what are two or three accounts or brands that people who are looking to make this work should follow? to see what it looks like when there's a lot of success. We have lots of examples of things that don't work. What are a couple examples of ones that are working? Honestly, I don't know that I could answer that. I don't know any that that I can look at and say that they're working. I will say that one of the blessings is LinkedIn has given you access to look at people's ads on the tab. I think it's like you have to go to posts and then you could look at ads. So that's a great research tool. But I don't know that I could sit here and tell you one that I really believe is doing it well. Isn't a part of that reason also is that the outreach happens privately. It's not public. That's part of it. But again, the ads are now public. So you can see that the unfortunate thing and the same goes with the Facebook ad library, you can gain a lot of amazing insight on creative directions and make inferences of what you think works and what doesn't work. And because we have so much experience, we can do that. But for the average person, they may have a difficult time discerning is this ad being successful versus not being successful. But I think the fear, again, going back to pattern recognition, it gives you that ability to see the patterns that people are using to market so that you don't fall into the same traps. What's the best business advice you ever received? I would say the best business advice that I've heard, and I would say that I'm not very good at it, is saying no to things and saying no with Steve Jobs. It's not just saying no to things, but saying no to the things that you want to do. I think that's a very prudent advice that's very difficult to follow, especially for somebody like me. What's your definition of success? If I were to say the prompt, I know I'm being successful when, how would you finish it? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I think that's one of the struggles that I have kind of self-doubt in myself internally is it's very skewed. I have a very difficult time recognizing success 
when I have it. I would say that for me, a lot of it is, I'm not saying that this is right, is financially driven, but I'm probably the worst person to ask advice for the question because I am not good at that, recognizing and appreciating success. When's the last time you felt successful? What happened? What was going on in your life? I think sometimes I lose sight of the amount of books that we sell and the impact that we have through those books. We're just looking at the average self-published book sells less than 500 copies. The average published book is selling less than 3,500 copies. We are well beyond that. I think for me, it's difficult to really understand that because it's just numbers on a screen and you don't see it like a musician sees 50,000 people listening to them perform on a stage and a sports athlete sees a stadium full of people cheering for them. In our world, you don't get that. Oftentimes the negativity arises above the positive nature, but I would say just the response sometimes that we get with our books is that sign of it. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I think one of the exercises that I am really focused on is not jumping around from thing to th- because with social media and things like that, it causes you to jump, which for me personally, it causes a lot of distress because you're not really fully feeling into the emotion that you feel into something, whether something stresses you or makes you happy or depresses you is like when you jump from the thing to thing, you don't complete that emotion. That's one of the, the practices that I have right now of unwinding that bad habit, jumping around from the thing to thing. What's helped you with that? Awareness and, and causing myself not to jump. Recognizing when you do and say, oh, not there. Yeah, which is, again, it's simple, but not necessarily easy to do. Brandon, one of the other issues that's important is thinking about when social media helps people succeed and they develop really powerful hook points and messages that are responded to by people very quickly, they're ethical concern. And the issue that's on my mind now is Theranos, who was led by Elizabeth Holmes, and she had a great tagline. Are you familiar with Theranos, the story? Yeah. Her tagline was something along the lines of over a hundred significant blood tests from a single drop of blood. Wow, is that powerful and attractive, but it wasn't true. Technology did not hold up to the tagline, the marketing. Talk a moment about the ethics of developing important hook points because they are such a powerful tool. Honestly, I don't think about that much because to me, it's like we're only working with people that we believe in. And I'm really speaking to the vast percentage of the people that have something of power or of substance. I feel like oftentimes people look at those rare cases or they try and demonize social media for all the negativity versus looking at, listen, hook points aren't going away. Social media is not going away. So let's use it to our benefit and help the most amount of people possible. Does that mean that everybody's going to do good by the general population? No, but it's I don't look at it from that perspective because you just hope that the people out there are doing good. I don't know that it's our job or responsibility to cut those people out. I think they can get exposed eventually. Our job is just to help as many people as, as possible and help the brands that are doing as much good as possible. When you think about helping people be as successful as possible, what are two or three things that you want your clients to be doing every day or every week that'll help them be successful with using the hook points that you've helped them do? I think that there's a few things. Number one is making sure that you understand that this is a marathon and not a sprint and in it for the long haul because the clients that get upset with us and the clients that don't have success are the ones that don't do anything. And they try and blame us or they try and blame the system. Same thing with the books is 1 million followers is how I built a massive social audience in 30 days. Not, I guarantee by reading this book, you're going to build a million followers in 30 days. We're exposing the information that I use, but also collect with my friends and partners that have massed hundreds of millions of followers and billions of views. The first thing I think is really a mindset perspective. Are you constantly putting in the work and the time and facing the challenges that it takes and not blaming other people for your lack of success or your failures? That's 
step number one. Step number two, I think really when it comes to social media specifically is are you doing the research? Do you understand what's going on? Do you understand how these platforms work? Why something doesn't work in bombs? Why something goes viral? Because without really understanding the fundamentals of how these platforms work, or at least having your team understand that, you're ultimately going to struggle to have success. Brennan, you've been so successful in sharing with us perspectives and methods and approaches that will help us be more successful with using hook points to cut through the clutter in a noisy world. I just want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure connecting with you and everybody that was listening to this. Brendan, before we say goodbye for now, where is it that we could find out more about you and your work online? I would recommend going to hookpoint.com. It breaks down our methodology in more detail and you can download a a free deck that breaks it down as well. If you want to get the book, uh, you can go to book.hookpoint.com or book.1millionfollowers. Brendan, we're going to link to your websites as well as to places to buy the book online as well as your social media so people could follow you, learn from you, and keep in touch with your developments and how you're using the powerful methods of Hookpoint and others that you develop to be successful online. Brendan Kane, author of Hookpoint, how to stand out in a three-second world. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.